Hello and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation, brought to you by Hirespace. This episode, we're talking Wi-Fi as Caleb Parker, founder and CEO of Bold Workspaces, joins me to talk about the issue of Wi-Fi at events. But we don't talk about what works for the delegate, the person that's showing up with their mobile phone. And so if we look at the category of the delegate first and foremost, what are they using their phone for when they come to an event? Then Sam Allen shares her advice for events organizers as an events MC and moderator. Um, If that fails, I'm guessing a whistle or a large stick might work. Prepare for anything that might happen because that's the world of events and that's why we love what we do. But first, sunshine and storm clouds. How is the events industry dealing with the increase in weather extremes? Prove your worth? Are events falling behind when it comes to measuring ROI? And show me your event face. Should the events industry be championing facial recognition tech? All that and more as Sam Allen, Martin Fullard and Ed Poland sit down for the News Digest. Evening, everyone. Good evening. Hello. How are we? We have Sam Allen. Good evening, Ed. How are you? Very good. How are you? Peachy keen. Fabulous. Martin Fullard, editor of Conference News. How are you? Uh, my feet are wet. I've got no kitchen. I've barely got any electrics downstairs. I'm having to drink from the outside tap while I get my new kitchen installed, so I'm in a mood. <laughs> Tell us about the outside tap. Well, it's the tap outside, which I would normally use to water my lawn with. But I'm afraid that's the only way I have drinking water. Do you use a mug of glass or you're literally yeah, kneeling down in there? It depends. Depends how drunk I am. Are you feeling appreciative of the finer things that 21st century life offers you generally? No, not really. I'm just constantly angry. Let's start on the weather. Weather's been crazy hottest day ever recently, and now it's a typhoon every day. We've had festival cancellations, adverse weather. This is an article in Event Industry News. Adverse weather conditions raining off many event goers' plans. High winds were deemed too risky for events up and down the country. So Boardmasters, big festival. Cornwall, that was cancelled. But then you also had Boomtown... Mm-hmm. festival where the stage was blown off by the high winds the hottest day in the year what hottest day in the year was bad how oh, bad, bad is this oh it's bad uh, so i used to live in the desert i lived in the middle east the uae for nine years okay so i'm used to heat i can deal with heat or so i thought uh but the uk just isn't geared up to deal with anything like 38 celsius uh i was i went to an event in uh right in the center near Pall Mall on that day and I had to leave. The windows and the doors out onto the terraces were open, so the air conditioning in the venue was useless. Uh, I was just sitting there, just dripping sweat. I must have dehydrated myself or whatever. I had to just get out. I've never been so uncomfortable at an event ever. And then, of course, well, I did get worse because I had to then get on the underground back to Vauxhall, and that stopped, and it was horrible, crowded. Yeah. So event planners just need to get better at arranging the weather, right? I think the weather is extreme. I think outside events, outdoor events, if you go and speak to an association like NOAA, they will have, you know, outdoor event organisers have contingency because we live in the UK. So we are affected by weather, period. Mm. So in terms of what's happening now, is it freak? Yes, it is freak. Why is it happening? Well, it's the jet stream and it's in a funny little place. And once it writes itself, if it writes itself things should improve this is a freak year will there be more freak years probably due to climate change but i agree with 
with you, Marty, that actually it's venues and especially unique and unusual venues who may be a little bit more strained, who don't have built-in air conditioning units, so on and so forth. Those are the things you've got to think about and recognise. Insurance, spend more money on uh, good insurance, risk assessment, going back to support for event planners, massively important. And and whether whether you're indoors or outdoors is really an important factor. You've got to consider it. I mean, sometimes you're just at the mercy of the gods. I mean, look at Confex, what, two years ago, yep. random snowstorm. You know, all hell breaks loose, planes having to be diverted, the UK yep. shuts down, and then the year after Confex, heat wave in February. So... <sighs> Contingency is essential, right? Everyone does. You don't you don't put on event organizers just don't put on a big outdoor event and have no contingency. So every single time you do it, you always have to have that backup plan or do people risk it sometimes? Do, do they? Uh, all good um, outdoor event organizers should have a risk assessment and will and there's laws around that. But also I think we need to make sure that when event planners are using indoor venues that maybe weather averse that that's a consideration and they have a contingency risk assessment i think sometimes it's a little bit light that the 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 onus is on the venue to do the risk assessment but um obviously the venue we won't talk about where you were at but clearly the event organizer and the venue hadn't had a conversation you didn't get any extra insight you know wear loose clothing or wear you know less clothing the solution was to close the doors because they did have air conditioning and that would have sorted it but no but again, that's that's between an event organiser and a venue. They oh, should have absolutely. actually had that sorted. Again, when you go into an event, I was running, I was running, I was emceeing an event in in July. So when it was is super hot in an old, unique venue, beautiful venue, and you know that was the first thing we did when we went in at half past six in the morning. Is we like we know we're going to have lots of bodies. Let's whack up the air conditioning so that we've got it not for the temperature we want it right now, but when we've got two hundred delegates in here. They feel comfortable. This is what happened at Fire Festival, isn't it? The very last, just before it started. I mean, not that it was about to be a resounding success anyway, but just before, just before it went, just before the day of the event. I still to add seen total this. insult to injury. The heavens just opened, right, and yep. it swamped the whole place. Yeah, I, I mean, don't, I don't think they had contingency, did they? No, they didn't have con- contingency. But if you look at one great big event um, that has had extreme weather thrown at it year in year out that still remains one of the most successful outdoor experiences people have you know talk to Michael Evis and team Glastonbury works whatever the weather true take your cues well there we go guys can we talk about proving ROI at events this has reared its head again this is in MNIT magazine uh, demand for ROI stats research big data is vital for the meetings industry so much has happened on this it's still constantly talked about is there any way for us to get to a you know metrics around the value of events that everyone is happy with and comfortable with and can promote and shout about well I think you're talking a couple of things there Ed um, if we're talking measurement and ROI um, every event organizer no matter what event they are should be measuring their event um, and if people aren't doing that then they really need to wake up and smell the coffee because nobody really can justify putting on and ex- the expense and, and so on and so forth without uh, measuring. You know the angle I'd come with that from would be when it comes to event organisers who are running say you know internal comms and there's a lot of companies that do that where you know say a percentage figure or an increase in profit is not so easy to identify but I think in a, in, in a way, and I know that this has been spoken about a lot over the years, 
not likely going to happen. I'm sure Sammy can maybe update us on it, but uh, the industry doesn't have a, a, an SIC code, a SIC code, uh, which is the government's kind of mechanism for uh, valuing, a, you know, a, a, a sector. Uh, other ones have it, we don't. And as the industry can't demonstrate its own value, I think it's very difficult to then go down to clients and say, well, you know, this is what this is going to be when we can't even justify our own value. And I think that would probably help the cause if we were able to be successful and get a, a, a special SIC code, but not holding a breath. And the reason we can't get a special SIC code is... We're a fragmented um, industry. We can't agree at who we are as a sector. In that, Can I just also state this is in the UK. We've mm. got to... When we talk about the industry, or the, I know quite often we say the events world, yeah. um, we have some very, very clear... UNWTO measurements of the value of our industry globally. This is tried and tested methodology. We used to have that in the UK because I was part of the launch of the UK Economic Impact Study. So we actually had some regular regulated data. And then frustratingly, um, the world moves on and people don't see its significance or its importance and it will only be when something dramatic happens negatively that maybe we'll start having those conversations. But I think that's a conversation to have at the Business of Events forums at the back end of the year because we still are a fragmented sector and, um, frankly, until that changes, um, we're not going to be able to move forward on that. I think in the short term, one of the, uh, like an, e uh, an easy win method it would be the net promoter score, which, you know, it's a very simple one to ten. If you click on nine to ten you're a promoter therefore that organizer can rely on you to go and promote that event to your colleagues friends whoever one to six i believe is you're a detractor so you're not going to be recommending it and then there's the the kind of the don't knows and i think you end up with an average score and that kind of gives you an indication of actually you know how how successful is our message how many people are promoting us so that's one to look at for event organizers if they're looking for a kind of uh a quick solution. That seems like a simple way, right? So you're tasked with, maybe listeners tasked with organising their first event and asked to think of ways to demonstrate the value of the event. That seems like a, a pretty simple first step solution. Oh, the, there's a million and one simple solutions. What do you want the participant or the dele delegate's behaviour to, to change or, or to be like after this experience or this event or this conference? How do you want them to think, feel and behave? How do you want your stakeholders to think, feel, behave and change? How do you measure that? Quite simply, through various event evaluation, you can do bits and pieces on site. I mean, if you, you know, if you can get airports who can measure the ROI of the success and the speed of you going through security by a little face thing, I'm sure we've all seen it where it's a happy face through to a sad face. What do you think they're doing? They're collecting data. That's really important. So at a certain period of time, they will see how many people have clicked the happy face. They'll know because they had a certain number of staff on board that all the computers are working, so on and so forth. Data is king, or as I'd like to say, data is queen. There's also, you found me out earlier, exposed me as a fraud, because there, you said that there's an ROI methodology yes, available, there is. Yep. which I had no idea existed. Well, we will share a link to that if that's okay on the podcast for our listeners because there's been an ROI methodology, try and, tried and tested scientific method. Um, if you look up Dr. Elling Hamzo, um, he was a pioneer in ROI measurement. Um, lots of good meeting designers, all good meeting designers design with objectives and measurements in mind. And it doesn't have to all be financial. And if you look at the, the tracking that the, the article has on PCMA, 
so big global uh, meetings association based out of Chicago. They were tracking digital event attendees. So they were investing in digital event attendees for their convening leaders congress, which not everybody can obviously get there. But there's a big investment in that. So they track their digital attendees from 2011 to 2017. So it was no short period of time. And they sort of did this measurement and, and measured the ROI. And in hard cash... The, you know, the online stream had brought in 3,933 new prospects and more than a million pound, million dollars, sorry, of incremental value. So it's, there's nothing to be sniffed at about measuring. Now, that's quite complex ROI, but quite simple ROI is, is what everybody should be starting with or measurement. You talk about facial recognition. It's oh, some, speaking of data. Speaking of data. This, this is on BBC and it's, it's not specifically related to events, but it's about King's Cross and the use of facial recognition at King's Cross, King's Cross Station. Mm-hmm. Watchdog described the deployment, the usage of this facial recognition technology as alarming. The developer has confirmed it does use the technology to ensure public safety, but didn't reveal any details. I mean, this whole facial recognition, recognition thing is a big, you know, it's a big topic of debate in all over the place, but it's, it's certainly something that's being increasingly used by events organisers. Where do you guys stand on, on, on its use? I, I'm really struggling to come up with an opinion on this. I'm not sure which side of the fence I sit on. I mean, personally, I, I'm not that bothered by it because, you know, my face is all over social media, as it is. I think, you know, I'm, I'm out there. Uh, so I'm not that bothered, but I kind of get people who might be. I don't know. Is this a good thing or not? Is it too Orwellian? Are we seeing more and more of it? Have you guys been, have you seen it at events? I've seen case studies and I've seen it work on, you know, in terms of I've looked at videos because I'm really interested in, in this. And I think it's um, an awesome way, I think, for security uh, at events, for speed of registration, for going through the, you know, you've got to bring through 20,000 people through your front doors. This is going to expedite that immensely. It's going to be brilliant and get the right people through because there are always problems. So if you've uploaded a picture of yourself from the last year rather than the last 20 20 years ago um i think for events it's a really positive thing i think you can use it from a i think the other side the positive security side and you know i i think it's a good thing in the public eye too if i'm walking on the streets of king's cross and some mugger or murderer or known rapist is walking behind me then i'd like the cameras to pick that up and arrest him and or her and and put them in prison i i haven't done anything wrong and if people would like to clone me, then they're welcome. Well, you see, that's where I kind of, I swear I agree with you. I mean, at, on, on those grounds, I'm, I'm all for it. But I think a lot of, you know, the naysayers would be, well, how is that data being uh, secured? You know, how can we trust it's not being abused and, and so on? You kind of understand those questions, but I, I'm not losing any sleep over it. But again, we all open up and give our mm. identity to Facebook. You know, millions and millions and millions of us, we've all opened up our, our own um, social grave, if you want to call it that. You know, so when we have a problem with facial recognition, stop being on Facebook and posting, you know, the latest the Salford. You know, go off the grid. Those things you talk about, speeding up registration, security, these are great essential things for, for events, right? We, yeah. we need that. So should we be more vocal? Should we be real? advocates for this technology as an industry talking about it 
I think it would be great if we could come together as an industry and talk about it. I think it would be interesting to, to get sort of the the technology experts, the Adam Parrys of the world from, you know, event tech world, uh, the James Morgans of the world to tell us what they think from a technology point of view. Um, but I think we should be championing this. I think it's a positive thing. And love to hear from podcast listeners if they disagree with us. Yeah. What so do you think, Ed? Anything that makes things quicker is generally a good thing, right? Yeah. Registration, the amount of events you go to and the registration is still slow and laborious and, you know, that process of forgetting your... You want to, you want to get a press pass. I would love to get a press <laughs> pass. They, yeah, there's, we've always got a secret door. We've got like a little green room at the back, red velvet sofas. We just p- pretend to be you, Martin. It can be. But not with facial, facial recognition, recognition right? you won't be able to. That's, that's uh, the other side. You know, that's a good thing. We've got a question from the audience. Oh, good. I think you're going to like this one. Uh, it's from Danny. Hi, Danny. Thanks for sending in a question. Hi, Danny. What's the best way to get my guests to leave an event, especially when the venue has strict exit time and guests have been drinking? You see this with award shows quite a lot, don't you? Cover up the dips. You know the party's over when they take away the dips. How many parties do you go to with dips? In the journalist room, you know, that's it. You get the little bowl of nibbles, you know, Pringles. The loud tutting box? then. Very loud tutting. This must be one for you, Sam. Your venue experience, right? Um, very simple. You know when your cut-off time is. You'll work with your venue manager. You start the process of exit probably a good half an hour. A bit like you, you see in a pub. Stop the music. Lights are a great thing. Once the lights go on, everybody knows. I mean, that's a that's inbred in us all from the days that we used to go clubbing. Uh, Marty is nodding. There's always, there's always just, the he lights, remembers that when the lights go on. Absolutely. And then you could see the, the state of the carpet or the disco floor in all its glory. Or the person that you've been having that last no, song, no, 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 that no, last speech with there. Marty. I haven't heard this story. Wow. Well, no one can remember any stories. One final thing before we go. This is one I, I wanted to ask, right? So we, in August now, the events industry is kind of snoozing in a way, but we're soon coming into September, those three months where every single event profession in the world is pretty much going at 400 miles an hour for, 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 for those three months out every night. I've only been in the events world for, for a few years, but I literally every Christmas seem to be dragging myself over the finishing line, just kind of completely, completely exhausted. I imagine everyone in this world feels the same. What advice have we got? We've got two weeks more of kind of holiday, but how do we all survive these three months until Christmas? I'd say uh, a, a healthy diet of cauliflower, but uh, Sammy's pointed out that there's a shortage, so we'll have to move to there is a shortage sweet of potatoes, or are they too expensive? You're doomed if you're on a cauliflower and sweet potato diet right now. Mm. Um, in all seriousness... Um, is it just me? It's tough, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I don't have seven clear days from the um, 9th of September to the middle of December. That's work. That's not parties. That's that's just absolute work. And sadly, my dear friends, I'm not going to be podcasting very much over the next three months because I'm super busy. But I do think you have to have that balance. Get your sleep in when you can. Eat well. Exercise when you can. Remember that when you're going out to your events that you can still do that same thing. Try and keep a routine. Take your phone. I know that it's not as easy if you're going to a hotel. Use the hotel gym. Even if you can just try and do a a half an hour walk, that's going to make you feel better. And I think just concentrate on not getting stressed. The show will go on, whatever you're doing. We're all event professionals in uh, in this world. So... 
enjoy it because it's better to be this crazy busy than twiddling our thumbs wondering where the next event or next dollar is coming from, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. And I'd say that if you're one of the event profs or journalists like me who just has an endless stream of invites to soirees all around the country, then just don't be afraid to say no sometimes. You don't have to take them all on. I think that's a really good piece of advice. You don't, you don't need to be turning exactly. up. You don't have to be turning up at the opening of an envelope, do you? Correct. We'll gear up, guys. We will. We're ready. We're, we're going in. We're professionals. We're, we're ready for this. I'm not, but I don't really have a choice in the matter. <laughs> just think, by, we'll just by this no. time in three months' time, you have a kitchen as well. That'll I, make you I happy, hope Marty. so. Yeah. If I don't, there's going to be some very miserable podcasting between now and then. <laughs> See you next time, guys. See you soon. Take Bye-bye. care. Be safe. Bye. Up next, Caleb Parker joins me for a chat about the standard of Wi-Fi in the events industry. Caleb, welcome to the Event Lab podcast. It was great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Uh, maybe introduce yourself a little bit to, to the listeners. So Caleb Parker and I am the CEO of Bold. We're a brand of small meeting spaces and flexible workspaces. I'm also on the Technology and Innovation Committee with the HBAA. And uh, I host a YouTube channel called The Future in 15, where we cover innovation within the mice sector. wanted to get you in today to basically have a chat about the standards of Wi-Fi in the events industry. It's, some, it's like a topic that I've heard come up quite a few times now on the News Digest. People are never happy, it seems. <laughs> you know, why, why has the problem been going on so long? Well, I want to start off by telling you a story. So last year, I went to an event, and um, the event organizers asked us in advance to download this app. Uh, to interact with the, I won't, I won't name the event, but uh, to interact with the exhibitors, to interact with other delegates, etc. Um, the event was held over multiple uh, floors, mm. including lower ground. And so I, I get to the event, and um, in order to go where I needed to go, you have to go through the lower ground first to get sort of like a maze. I'm walking through the lower ground, and I'm trying to find the person I was going to meet up with, and there's no data service, for my, there's no signal on my mobile, and, and there's no Wi-Fi. There's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> not, not bad Wi-Fi, there's no Wi-Fi. But there's no mobile signal. Fail, and who am I to blame? Do I blame the venue? Do I blame the organizer? Um, do I blame the person that invited me? Either way, I think my, my initial reaction is, this event sucks, the venue sucks. It's something we're so used to now that it's, it's pretty shocking to kind of reach that state where something is simply as simple and convenient as an event app suddenly doesn't work. Yeah. So I think this isn't the case always, obviously. Um, there's many times where you go and the Wi-Fi is great or, or the data service works. And in the future, we have 5G. Maybe we don't even need Wi-Fi. But I think if we step back, though, and talk about Wi-Fi in two categories uh, or Internet in two categories, um, you have the category of the delegate, the, the, the end user. And, and I think in our industry, we end up um, talking a lot as what works for venues or what works for organizers or what works for the suppliers. But we don't talk about what works for the delegate, the person that's showing up with their mobile phone. And so if we look at the category of the delegate first and foremost, what are they using their phone for when they come to an event? Some events, they might the, the organizers might want them to tweet a lot on social media and share. Other people want them to do live polling and interact with uh, the speakers on stage. Other people are just there checking their emails. Um, so I think we have to think about the delegate. And me personally, and I, I, I think there's a lot of people that are like me, um, when I use my phone at home, I've got really strong internet, yeah. whether, whether it's my mobile service or whether it's my Wi-Fi. Um, and when I go to an event, if I have worse service, that's not good. 
you sort of met in your story that you mentioned the the event app, and I think it's you know it's, it's a trend that we're seeing all over the place. Events are going paperless; they're putting more and more things into a digital space. Whether that's the event interaction, like polling, quizzes, like so much of an event's kind of organisation is, is so reliant on internet connection. So if you're not then providing your guests with <laughs> the ability to use it, you're kind of you're sabotaging yourself there. Exactly, and and that's the that's the first category. The other category is the organizer themselves and the staff of, of the event organizer. Are they using it to connect with uh, reg- registration? Are they using it with a CRM? Are they doing um, live streaming? So there's a whole other category that we need to be talking about. But for the purpose of of this conversation, I think we need to focus on the delegate mm-hmm. um, and and what t- type of service that delegate is going to be provided. For Wi-Fi. So I mean, so. I think one of the things that's been brought up is, is an industry standard for Wi-Fi at events. What, what does a solution look like for helping the delegates get the service that they need? Well, I think there's, there's two parts to the, to the standard question. A lot of venues say we have free Wi-Fi, but what does that mean? Because what one venue says, free Wi-Fi, might not mean the same thing that the organizers th- perceiving in their head. It might be different than what a, another venue is promoting as free Wi-Fi. So if you think about Wi-Fi, for instance, is, does that mean... Wi-Fi throughout the venue, does that mean specifically in the designated area, not the breakout areas, just the main uh, plenary room? Uh, Does it mean 20 megs of bandwidth split across 1,000 people, which means if everybody's on at one time, nobody's going to get good service? Does it mean 100 megs shared amongst 1,000 people, which means it's a bigger, it's a faster speed for everyone? So I think we need to define a a standard that defines what free Wi-Fi means. Because a lot of venues are providing um, a, a Wi-Fi service that is le- worse than a mobile data service. Mm. So, I mean, if, say, say I'm going to an event and the event advertises it's got free Wi-Fi, in, in an ideal world, what, what kind of service should that free Wi-Fi entail? I think what an organizer needs to ask when they see the two words free Wi-Fi is, um, what's the speed and how many delegates or concurrent users can be on the network at the same time? Um, you might have a venue that can accommodate 300 people and have super fast Wi-Fi. Um, you may have another venue that's got a thousand people uh, that can accommodate a thousand people, um, and they have the same speed coming into the building as the 300 um, capacity venue. But the number of concurrent users will max out at the same number as the 300 because the speed's the same. So you might be able to get 150 people on, but if you've got a capacity of a thousand, that means that's 850 people that aren't going to have good service. I guess you need to match the you know, the Wi-Fi capacity to the capacity of the venue. It's, you know, 300 chairs for a 300-person venue. That's great, but 300 chairs for a 1,000-person venue, useless. Exactly, and, and so there's an equation that's being worked on um, and talked about with, uh, with the HBAA um, as well as the MIA, and they're looking at how, how can we create an equation that venues can really easily look at and say, okay, here's the speed that's coming in. Here's how many uh, concurrent users can be on. Here's how many, not users, but devices. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's the capacity of my venues. Does this match up to provide the service that people expect? Mm-hmm. So I mean, in terms of like kind of meeting that service, and and there's a certain, like obviously people are working on this on this solution with the the equation to basically create a, a Wi-Fi service that you know for if you you're expecting a thousand devices at an event, it delivers a kind of fast reliable Wi-Fi service. But do you think? I mean, people have so many devices these days. Do you think event organizers should put a limit on how many devices, or we should they should encourage people to perhaps only use one connection to the internet at any one time, so that they can they can more easily plan for the number of devices connected? I think it's going to depend on the event, first of all. Yeah. Um, and I think I think venues 
there's stats out there right now, and you can read one thing in one place and one thing in another, but there's a, there's a common stat out there that says the average delegate's bringing 2.6 devices. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know, whatever. But you, m- most events, someone's bringing at least their mobile phone, um, and then a lot of events, people are also bringing a laptop. So if you think about each delegate coming, probably going to have two devices, Maybe not everybody. So if you want to average it out, a venue needs to be thinking about, okay, I, need, I know if I've got this much capacity, I need to put some sort of multiple on that to say this is how many devices are likely going to be uh, at one time. And then that needs to be communicated in that the industry standard is, needs to be created to, so we all speak the same language. So we know this is how many people that I can, or devices that I can accommodate. When the venue tells the organizer that, then the organizer can decide, okay, well, they, I know that they can accommodate this many devices. This is what my event is going to, uh, uh, this is what my event's going to be. I want people to be on using uh, Wi-Fi often, or I don't. And if they do, and the venue can't accommodate based on the capacity, then that organizer might need to purchase additional bandwidth. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe it's, it kind of all starts when organizers are picking a venue, they need to start then you think more about a venue's Wi-Fi capacity and have that conversation 100%. earlier. 100%. Or as soon as possible. That that has to be. Um, and, and I think that that's just that's just from the delegate perspective. And then there's another question to be had about, well, what is the organizer and the organizer team going to be using data and bandwidth for? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not... I think it's probably something that is at the moment kind of considered too late into the event organizing process. It's a hundred. Is yeah. People are asking questions. We did that survey with HBA last year, and w- we did find discover that people were asking way late. Some people weren't even asking until right ro- rocking up for the event and finding out that they don't have enough Wi-Fi bandwidth to or enough internet bandwidth to be able to su- su- support the event. Yeah, I guess like you know you wouldn't you wouldn't organize an event without food and water it feels like these days uh wi-fi is just important i think i think on the bold website you say that wi-fi is the is the new oxygen it, well it, it is <laughs> well, at least i feel that way myself um you know when wi-fi and power when you know when my battery on my mobile phone gets low i feel like i'm dying if i don't have wi-fi uh, in, or, or poor connection um mm. I, I just i can't i can't i can't cope <laughs> so i think there's a lot of people like me uh that that rely on their phone for so many things and whether that's we want to share information that we're learning at an event or, or stay in touch and check in with work while we're at an event, whatever. We want to have that access. Yeah, I mean, just just kind of thinking more kind of kind of broadly, I've, I've, uh, I've seen that people are starting to suggest that, I mean, in, in a kind of more general sense, that just access to the internet should become like a basic human right. And I'm sure that <laughs> event prof- like a lot of event guests would take that one step further and say that good conference Wi-Fi is a basic human right. But I mean, what what do you kind of what do you kind of think about the idea of at least some form of internet access being a being a kind of basic human right that, that people deserve? I I'm careful about stepping into the the, the human rights um, <laughs> definition and connotation, but um, I do think it, it is a high expectation amongst uh, most delegates these days, um, and I think that. When we when 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 I put my venue hat on, um, and, and you know I have I have a venue brand. When I put my venue hat on, um, I would never think about saying, "Okay, well, um, Mr. Organizer or Miss Organizer, um, I know you have we have capacity for you know 150 people. Um, if you have uh, 300 people, we're going to charge you extra for the aircon." Yeah, we can only we we're, we're char- What's included is 150 people, but if you have 200 people, 300 people, we're going to charge you extra for the aircon. No, that's it's it's accepted. So why the Wi-Fi? So I guess from like the venue the venue point of view, what I mean, what's the kind of the what do you see as the solution to 
dealing with venues that just don't meet the standard? Do you think that you know is there any way to ha- is there any way that they can be helped out, or do they just kind of fail to adapt? I, I think that we've been talking, and it might come off as a bit negative towards mm. venues, and and I don't mean it, it is it is negative as a delegate when you show up and you have that experience, but um, it's not necessarily all the venue's fault. Yeah, um, lots of problems that they face in, t- in trying to get that connection into the building. Problems getting into the building, or maybe they've invested in uh, infrastructure in the past that they're still paying, um, you know, capex on. Um, they, at some point, will need to upgrade. I, I think, um, and then. I think it will be uh, market demands and, you know, the the whole capitalistic thing of, you know, who has the best service, they're going to get the, the, the business, they're going to be able to charge the higher rates. And I, I guess I go back to what's being charged for and what's included, especially if we talk about free Wi-Fi. So if we talk about free Wi-Fi and it's 20 megs, and that's what a venue is saying, we have free Wi-Fi, and the organizer finds out, well, gosh, I've got 300 people and 20 megs split across 300 people just doesn't work. Oh, well, sorry, you know, Mr. Organizer, you're going to have to buy additional bandwidth to be able to supply that there are some venues right now um, who have decided they looked at, there's, there's a particular venue actually i'll say them mm-hmm. etc venues so etc venues um last year and i'm, I'm not going to quote numbers because i'm going to get them wrong but um they looked at the revenue that they were generating for charging for extra bandwidth for the wi-fi not for uh the team stuff and streaming but just wi-fi um, they looked at the revenue they were generating, and it was so insignificant compared to their overall revenue, they decided to just include it. So it doesn't matter if you have a 10-person event or a 1,000-person event. The free wi- It's free Wi-Fi. Uh, and so they've got super fast pipe coming in and out of the building, so they can support that. I mean, that's, 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 that's an amazing service. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they probably saw an increase in revenue elsewhere because of the, the quality of service that that, that provides. Yeah, it, I mean, it increased value. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, hopefully, hopefully the future is faster uh, when it comes to Wi-Fi. And if you're listening to this, we're not buffering as we speak. <laughs> Great. Well, I think that, that about wraps us up. Kev, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. I'm joined now by events MC and moderator, as well as News Digest veteran, Sam Allen, to chat about her advice for organizing events with an MC. Sam, I mean, it feels it feels odd to say welcome to the Event Lab podcast as you are such a veteran of the News Digest. I'm so excited. <laughs> I, I can't describe our little beautiful recording studio podcast people but when it's the news digest I always get relegated to the really uncomfortable stool and Ed Poland and Marty and Charlotte and Richard and all the others all get the comfy seat so I'm super excited because I've got a comfy seat. Well you've got the comfy seat and you've got you've got your own feature which I think is long overdue. Very excited about this. Yeah, so I thought you know, we can get your advice as an MC for event organisers and get get the, an MC's perspective. What are the first things an event organiser should discuss when they bring an MC into the event? Well, it's funny we've been talking a lot about ROI. There's some stuff in the in the news this week, and um, the first thing that I will want to know from my clients is what the objectives are of their event, who their participants are what change in their behaviour they may want to see, how they would like their participants to be thinking and feeling, behaving during the event, but also, quite importantly, after the event. So how they want them to be leaving that space. 
Um, those are sort of the top things I'd, I'd really want to get under the skin of. Quite often you get a brief and um, it's all very wordy and very clever and very top line. But actually, we really need to get under the skin of, you know, if it's an internal event, how these people have been feeling, what's the company, politics, so on and so forth, all the way through, measure those objectives at the end. I mean, how, how difficult is it sometimes to get past that kind of, the, uh, the kind of nice shine that you end up with on a brief to get to the real kind of truth of what the event's all about, kind of getting to the kind of plain language of it. I think that comes down to probably top tip number two or three or four or or one and a half that um, involve if you can, if you think your event is going to need or you want to discuss emceeing or moderating or facilitating, bring that um, professional in early. Um, it's a lot easier from an MC point of view and I also support meeting design as well so it's a lot easier to be involved and support um, those event objectives earlier on rather than an event already to be solid and and locked in um, without you know mm. with no flexibility in it I mean, what what would you think of the kind of I guess in your experience what are the most common blocks that you kind of come up against when it comes to doing your job as an MC well that one's probably number one <laughs> <laughs> please please do bring in um, your your moderator early because they can support yeah. you the, the thing about having a, a moderator and certainly someone who's doing this for a full-time job is that they're experiencing lots and lots of different type of events so they can support you because they're probably seeing a hugely diverse set of audiences if they're working across sectors a hugely diverse set of meeting formats things that work things that don't maybe even speaker and content suggestions as well so if you you're engaging them to do a job anyway so why not get that full value by engaging them a little bit earlier um, the other common block is is getting a really detailed brief um, I come from as most people will know me from the venue side, but I originated as an event planner. I'm quite geeky in terms of really wanting to get under the skin. I mean, I love a good show call, um, probably more than is normal for somebody. But um, as a as an MC, what I need to see is that really specific brief. I don't need to have 16 different files with bios on here. I need one consolidated document. I'm happy to actually work on that. But again, do give me the time in order to do it. But think about um, that moderator brief. It's quite important to get that right. Mm. I mean, you said, so you said that you, you know, it's important to bring an MC in early because they, they have that really useful advice for formats and ways to engage your audiences. I mean, I guess in your experience, there are lots of, are there any like popular formats that you see are perhaps more popular than they should be in there? Uh, they don't necessarily work. It depends on, it depends on your stakeholders. It depends on the event, you know, um, we have so many different formats. I think panels are always a challenge if you're looking for an event to engage your audience. Um, panel and very lengthy keynotes that don't break up. So if you've got panels, I recently had an event where we had seven on the panel. That's not including the moderator. I wasn't moderating it, but I was sort of the chief MC mm. for the day. Uh, seven on a panel for a 45-minute um, panel discussion is um, insane. Lots of voices to be heard. Lots of voices to be heard. So you're getting very limited content from your subject experts, but then you're absolutely not going to get any chance for the audience to interact. And the idea of a panel is to have that two-way interaction. Again, if you're having to deliver content, then keynotes and PowerPoint presentations are all, all well and good. 
But I would always ask the question, is that the most effective way of delivering whatever message you want to deliver? I'm working with a client who was looking at doing just just that, having a speech from a CEO with a PowerPoint presentation. And what we've done is we've actually changed it to a sort of a Graham Norton mm. sort of interview so that we're getting the right messages because I'm working with that, that CEO to talk about what he wants to convey to that audience. But we've got technology that we're getting crowdsourcing questions so that we can vote them up, vote them down, so that we're just including the audience. The other thing is keynotes of 45 minutes. Why not break them up? Talk to your speaker, offer them half an hour, and actually during the session, break up the keynote with a poll, with a question, with a bit of discussion and feedback so that people can talk about something themselves in the audience. So there's lots of different tried and tested methods out there. Mm. So, I mean, I think you're thinking about the panel. I mean, do you, I guess as as the MC, it's so much, it's so much that role is kind of keeping the energy of the event going. Like, how do you deal with, I guess, if the panel starts to falter, things the discussion is dying down a bit, how do you kind of deal with kind of getting things going? Well, number one, you you should be prepared that that's not going to happen. You really want to have a whole lot of things up your sleeve. So in terms of that panel, I'd want to be spending some time uh, getting to know those people. So that's doing my own research as well as having a quick call with them. The content, the subject matter has to be right. So again, you know, you need to talk about something that is going to be relevant to your audience. If you're using interactive technology, which a lot of um, a lot of organisations and conferences are, have some polls or have some, even if you haven't got that technology, you know, it's very simple to go out to the audience. What do you think? Hands up who thinks this. Put mm. your hand up. So you can then start encouraging, you know, find a couple of maybe not contentious questions, but, you know, hands up if you agree with X. People put their hands up and then go to the audience. Why do you agree or why do you disagree? So I wouldn't drag anything out if it was dying a death. I think that's the other thing. I've been speaking to an organiser today and, you know, again, in terms of preparing the show cool, you need to have that eventuality mm. because if things aren't, if things are really drying up, it's better to wrap it up and then let the audience go to a break slightly earlier. But you do need to make sure that all your stakeholders know about that because the last thing a venue wants is for 150 delegates to be coming out for coffee when coffee isn't ready. So, Again, it's about knowing your subject matter, understanding your your objectives, knowing who your participants are, and being pretty organised as the as the moderator. Mm, I mean, so far, it, that hasn't happened to me. So, I mean, it seems like MCs, in terms of like, play a pretty essential role in just keeping guests engaged. I mean, far more so than as I mean, you mentioned, the like, just having a keynote speech mm -hmm. that you just deliver. You have to, um, one of the massively huge traits that you need to have as an MC is being present. Um, I MC an awful lot of events outside of our wonderful events world, of which, you know, I, I love our, um, mm. our MICE events. Super, super excited about doing our event lab in, in October. Um, but I do MC a lot of events outside the industry and things that are not my subject knowledge. But you do need to be able to listen in to hear the themes um you know we we have that wise old adage you've got two ears for a reason and the mc's job is not to talk it's to hear it's to listen it's to understand it's to feel the room and be able to respond to that so it's a really important job um you know even down to summing up um rewording questions if a question is asked by an audience or a participant audience member or a participant 
rewording it to make sure it's relevant to that particular panelist. So there's, you know, it's a profession. It's not mm. just something anyone can pick up and just do successfully. I mean, so do you think an MC ever needs to be to be careful that their own kind of personality and brand ever gets in the way of the the kind of the brand and what the event is trying to achieve and kind of so maintaining that kind of presence and activity without overshadowing the event you get a lot of conferences i'm sure you've been to them where uh, people hire celebrity mcs mm. and again i'm not going to knock any uh, facet you can read my opinions on these things on my blog um I think if that person is experienced in moderating, then that's absolutely great. But if that person is a celebrity, then there is a very strong chance that they're probably going to want to talk about themselves, possibly promote a book or mm. or whatever it might be. I see the role of a moderator and an MC as a completely different role. You have to have that presence. So... I always wear, if you look at any of the photographs that you'll see on, on the website or of events, I'm either in yellow trousers or a red jacket or something bright so that people, whether it be the organisers, panellists, experts, they can see and they can recognise me straight away. They know who I am. And it worked really, really well at a, a VVIP event I did in July. Um, and in fact, one of the very, very senior government officials came over to me and I'd taken my jacket off because I was actually just really hot. It was a break. And he said, you are the lady with the red jacket, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. He said, oh, so you know what's happening? And I said, yes, I do. Um, that's as much as they should know. I don't need them to know my name. I'm not there to promote. I'm there to be that link and that conduit between the participant and the content and to make that as engaging to meet the objectives of the client. And that's my job. Nothing power, power else. Power of a good jacket. Power of a good jacket or a pair of yellow trousers. In fact, I spoke to a client this week and she was saying we've got a uniform to wear for a big event that I'm facilitating. I've designed three workshops for. And she asked if uh, everyone could wear black trousers. And I've gone back and said, can I wear my yellow trousers? And explained why. And she came, she came back straight away and said, yes, that makes absolute sense. So it's, it's an, you know, it sounds like an indulgence, but that's all you're going to know of mm. me. And that's really important. And I get really frustrated when I see events that have moderators that quite often maybe speakers as well. Sometimes I've seen that and you're nodding as well that, you know, they, they like to talk because their profession is speaking. My profession is is a master or mistress MC, um, a facilitator and a moderator, not, it's not the Sam Allen show. Mm. Just, I guess just thinking back, what is perhaps your favourite experience moderating an event? What kind of stands out? Without a shut, every, every single job I do and... Please don't think, well, you can think me cheesy, listeners. Um, I love every single job I do. I am living the absolute dream. I didn't realise you could love something that you do and get paid for it. It's just, I pinch myself every day. I absolutely can't recommend being an MC enough. But without a shadow of a doubt, it was pretty much my first gig this year where I officially launched as a professional MC. I've officially launched samallen.com and it's an event called the European Meeting and Events Conference. It's MPI's European Meeting and Events Conference. MPI is Meeting Professionals International, if you don't know them. I've been an MPI member for years. So I've been attending, I've been a participant at that event for many, many years. So to actually flip it and work it was insane. And to have sort of my first event as a professional conference MC, to be in front of 400 of my peers, 
some of my closest friends. Um, as we went on to stage for the first time, the the voice of God, which actually randomly was me, introduced me and my co-host. And we came onto stage to the most rupturous applause. And it didn't stop. And he looked at me and sort of whispered and you know, held the microphone saying, I've never heard this, Sam. And I said, well, it's not for you. <laughs> it's for me. And it was super emotional, but it was as if they were saying, Sam, you can do this. You can be the best and you can be the change you want to be. And it inspired me to to do hopefully a great job because I'm emceeing there, the European Meeting and Events Conference in Sevilla next February for them. So, I mean, what, what an amazing way to start out. And just, just as a last thing, I won't, I won't say what's the, what's the the worst experience I'm seeing, but what's what's been the most challenging MC experience? I guess what what can you take away from that to help event organisers? That's a really good question. I'm going to name no names. Every single event has its own challenges. The reason for that is it's live. Mm. Um, if you're, as a lot of our, our listeners are, if you're an event planner, you like to prepare to the nth degree. I like to prepare to the nth degree. If you look at any of the testimonials, every single client says, Sam, is prepared. Maybe sometimes I've been a little over-prepared, but you cannot be prepared for everything that's going to happen. And for me, that's probably the biggest challenge and the thing that will keep me doing this until they carry me off stage in a box. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen. I've had events where we've rehearsed for an entire day, um, big, big opening sessions, and then it's been a threat to be completely pulled two hours before we go on. Uh, we've had people not turn up. We have uh, moderators who are running panel discussions who don't turn up until the last minute, so they're not briefed. Not being able to brief or talk to keynotes. Having challenges trying to get people off stage because some people like the sound of their voice. Um I am collating all this information, so I can't give you too much because I will write a book. I'm just going through this first 12 months and I am scribbling down all these learnings that hopefully I can share with event organisers. Some are hilarious because you, you can't make up some of the stuff that happens. What's, what's your trick for getting people off stage? You try and catch an eye. You have a time. Hopefully, if you've got a, a comfort monitor, then the time will be on there. But a lot of uh, speakers may or may not look at that. Then the next job is you stand up and then I will walk on. Uh, if I need to. I haven't touched wood needed to yet. <laughs> but um, if that fails, I'm guessing a whistle or a large stick might work. Prepare for anything that might happen because that's the world of events and that's why we love what we do. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And we can, we'll look forward to that book in the future. Yes, uh, <laughs> free copies for uh, <laughs> podcast listeners. So you won't be on the News Digest for a few months, but listeners will be able to see your emceeing talent in person at Event Lab. I am excited. Yeah, sorry I'm going to miss a few um, podcasts over the next uh, few months, but it is really super busy, which I'm not sorry about, um, but really excited about the programme of content for Event Lab. For me, it's a, an honour to be able to emcee such a great event, to meet some of these speakers, to actually hear the content myself. So if you haven't signed up, uh, please get yourself registering and I'll see you in October links to register in the show notes below perfect Sam, thank you so much thank you george take care see you everyone if you enjoy the show make sure to rate us on itunes or your podcast app of choice you can follow all that we do on twitter and instagram using the handle at event lab underscore online 
you have any questions you'd like to submit to the News Digest or you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at higherspace.com. Thanks very much for listening.